Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. When your kid does something extraordinary, like walking at nine months or reading before they start school, you want to tell people. You're chuffed and excited. But sometimes parenting can become a competitive sport. So what's the line between being reasonably proud and bragging too much? Michael Gross is a author, parenting educator and founder of Parenting Ideas, a resource to help people successfully raise confident, happy and resilient kids. Hi, Michael. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. When does parenting get political? I think it gets political from a very early age of kids. Um, I've been reminded by my uh, my children who now have their own children um, how the comparison game starts at a very early age. Uh, my youngest daughter, Sarah, was telling me she was at playgroup with, or um, childcare, I should say, with with her baby and uh, people were saying that their babies were sleeping all the way through and she went, what? And then suddenly one of the women who boasted that her baby had slept all the way through, um, she's told my daughter privately that that happened just one time. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, it's, it's good to be excited about one time, but why, why would you ever indi- like make it sound like they do it all the time? Like, Why do you think people do that? Yeah, I guess it's, in some ways, it's the notion of seeing we all like to do well at the things we do, um, and probably you know parenting is no different. We want to be seen to be doing a, a good job as parents, and we often don't have benchmarks as well, so we don't sort of benchmark according to how our parents raised us. Um, in some ways, the way they raised us was so long ago. We um, and conditions are so different. So we look around for benchmarks in some ways. We can go, oh, you know, my child's sleeping through to, you know, or my child's doing so well at school or my child's, you know, is walking at a certain certain age um, a little bit earlier than others. And we get a bit chuffed about that. So there's a natural aspect to it to a degree. But in some ways it sets us up um, for disappointment. Um, I think also what's tied in with it is the fact that we only have small small families. Mm. Um, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And as I often say, if you had six kids, you'll get one good one. <laughs> uh, and, and you always get undone. The more kids you'll have, you'll, you'll certainly get one who you might get you know, the firstborn who does everything on cue. And if you have... A number of kids, if you have three kids, there's a good chance that you get one of those who are not going to you know, go do the numbers game uh, you think, that you want. Do you think there's also um, an element of insecurity when people boast? Like, because there's so much information about how to parent and what you should and shouldn't be doing, that in a way this competitiveness comes from people trying to justify to themselves that they are doing a good job that, you know, deep down inside, they're just terrified that they're doing everything wrong. Or is that just no, me? I, that's <laughs> a good point. I think there's a lot to be said about that. Um, I, I see it quite similarly to the, the fact that um, my experience often, and this is, this is similar, a little bit different than similar, my experience is often with people who pay the big fees for sending their kids to private schools will often spend a lot of time justifying it 
and I think it's quite natural, I'll justify spending that money and you look for all different reasons to justify it. So I think there is an element of, of justification. But I think the, you've hit on a really good point. The, there's so much knowledge out there and there's so many ways of going, um, raising kids at all the different points that um, we're looking to back up our reasons for for doing things as as well. So I think, yeah, that's a, a reasonable element. I think if you go back a number of generations, what parents wanted to be was comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at solutions to make us feel more comfortable, whereas now I think the driving force often for parents is I want to get the very best possible thing out of outcomes for my kids, which is wonderful. Um, but that puts a lot of pressure on, on us. And also, I think in, inadvertently, it puts pressure on kids as well because when we you know, are striving for the best, very best outcomes always for our kids, I think our kids feel that in some ways. And kids have their own developmental clock. And this is why you know, the whole notion of comparisons can be, can be fraught with danger. And the developmental clock is, is very different. You'll get late maturers. And I know I had three kids and... Um, I had a, a boy who was a late maturer, and he was a late maturer in, in, in two ways. He was he matured. Um, you know, his sisters always did things quicker than than he did, and he always seemed to mature and get school in about the fourth term. It'd take him a long time to get it, and suddenly he'd suddenly get it, and he'd have to have to change you know grade levels. Um, and so, you know, if I compare my son to others, oh. oh in his sporting prowess or in, in his development or learning, um, he was always going to come come unstuck. So we really needed to... Also, if we compared him to his, his siblings as well, he's always going to be unstuck. So, um, you know, the trick is there if you can actually just, you know, focus on your own child, focus on their strengths. It's easier said than done in this competitive world that we live in. And when you talk about wanting the best for our kids... It sounds like that can also be something um, that is a bit of a projection because what we see as being the best thing for our kids might not be what they see as being the best thing for them. I mean, obviously, we're there to guide them. So um, we can't assume that their thoughts that, you know, eating their dessert for breakfast is going to be the best thing for them. We don't let them do that. But when it comes to how they're progressing in life, is there... Is there a chance that when we say we want the best for our kids, we can inadvertently project our own desires onto them, our own dreams of what we wish we'd done? Oh, undoubtedly. We all have hopes and dreams as parents, and they sort of go on the shoulders of kids, and they certainly go on the shoulders of the firstborns, and that's why firstborn kids are more likely to be, we, I call them the family conservatives. So um, if a family is an academic family, there's a, a fair chance the firstborn will be academic. Um, because of those expectations. And, of course, when we've got small families, um, their expectations tend to be, you know, very much there. If you've got, I'll go back to the mythical six kids, by the time you get down to your sixth one, um, you know, the expectations have been watered down. And that's one of the reasons why often the youngest child in the family will outdo the others or will be, be successful in a completely different field. Um, so if it's an academic family, it's a reasonable chance the youngest one might be, say, if it's the youngest one's fourth, for example, might be successful, but might be successful in business or successful in, in another field. Um, so that notion of projection, or, ho- or what I call it hopes and dreams, is is very true and, and very real. Um, also, we tend to see kids through our own lens as well. So, you know, if we were the sporty type, uh, we often see them through that lens. 
And I, I think if, you know, it's very difficult, I, I think, but my advice is always is try to work out what your kids' strengths are um, and their interests. So, and that can be hard if you're very much that academic type person yourself and suddenly you see their interest in school isn't academic, but boy, they can talk someone under a, you know, or they're <laughs> very artistic or, gee, they, you know, put them in front of a group and they'll perform like no, nothing else. Um, and the notion of, you know, understanding kids' strengths and trying to sort of nurture those strengths and those interests um, is, I guess, I guess some of the part of the key of raising kids and doing, doing that successfully. And it's a hard one because um, that we've, so much of us is tied up in our kids. So we almost often we just want our kids to do well and often we want them to do well at the things that we um, did well at as well. Mm. And when we get, back, we get back to that idea of a competitive parenting being competitive sport and that um, comparison that happens between parents and families about their children, how can we know as parents that our kids are developing, at, as you say, they've got their own development clock? How do we know when that's okay to let them go within, go according to their own clock? And how do we know when maybe the, the batteries are slowed down and they need a bit of help? <laughs> No, that's a really good point. Um, so, and uh, again, I'll go back to family size, which makes, makes parenting tricky. Is, um, we sort of learn by the first two and we get it right by the third. And this sort of, we tend to be stricter on our first ones. Uh, and, and so that learning is really hard. So we, don't, we sort of look around, but it actually helps. When I say look around, often we look around at other people and other kids and, and go, oh, how are they doing? Uh, my, how does my child compare to that again a natural reaction and it's also we need it a little bit more because we're we've got smaller families if we've got your third child and you're raising your third you sort of compare to the first one or if you've got a fourth you compare to the others and you go oh yeah look, i know the boys are you know sometimes develop a little bit slower so that makes sense that he's a little bit slower than his sister so we have those comparisons in a family if when we've got uh, bigger families but i, I think in answer to your question, I think one of the things we've got to look at is that kids will often let us know. Um, there is that aspect of you do look around, but also, too, you've got to um, see if your child is really struggling and if your child, you know emotionally if they're struggling, then they may need assistance, um, if what, whatever that assistance may be. And there is that aspect of, you know, obviously if your child's not work, walking by a certain, you know, age or if your child's not picking up speech by a certain age, um, then you need to look at, look at, are there any issues? Can I assist there? So start looking at those extremes. But, you know, if they're a month out or, you know, they're at school, they're, you know, they're a little bit slower picking up things that other kids, but they eventually do pick things up then that's the, maybe the nature of the beast that, that you've got. Um, and, and so look at the extremes. And if your child's not doing something when most of the others are, and I, I always use 85%. You know, if, you're, if, you're, if 85% of kids tend to be doing something or other and my child isn't, then maybe there are some issues there. And maybe you need to take the parent aside and say, when you say sleeping through the night, is it every night or just one? Yeah, that's Clarify. right. Challenge that. Challenge that. Remember, there's a lot of ego involved in parenting. Um, I've always you know, been doing this for 25 years, and one of the things that you often find is that people will put up a front. You know, we're all fine. I'm fine, but we don't know what's happening 
behind closed doors. And behind closed doors, um, you know, a lot of a struggle. But when we go out, we tend to put the mask on. And yeah, of course, I'm doing fine. And it's a, it, in some ways, it's a Facebook effect or the comparison effect. We we're, we're almost trained to compare ourselves to to each other. So yeah, be, be a bit sceptical when someone says, "Oh, my child's playing the violin at seven. <laughs> That is such strong advice to end on, Michael. I think I might have to leave it there. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. That's a pleasure. That was Michael Gross. He's an author, parenting educator, and founder of Parenting Ideas. He's also just written a book with Dr. Jodie Richardson called Anxious Kids. To listen to our interview with her, check out the links in the notes of this episode, and we'll also pop a link in to Michael's website, Parenting Ideas. In winter, when the weather bites, the number of burns injuries increase. What's really interesting is unless you completely douse that campfire with water, if you were just putting the flames out with sand, eight hours later, that is still going to be hundreds of degrees. And if you're, you know, a three or four or five-year-old child, you don't know that that's hot. Sarah Hunstead from CPR Kids is on a mission to prevent burns. Listen to her on the next episode of Feed, Play, Love. She'll go through the best ways to stop burns in the first place and how to treat them if they do happen. This podcast is produced by Debbie Ning. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time. Running a home takes a lot of energy. So at Energy Australia, we've created the Total Energy Plan. An energy plan that, yes, ticks the boxes. Get a discount off your total energy bill, guaranteed. No lock-in contracts and fixed rates for 12 months. Find out how you can save with our Total Energy Plan. Energy Australia. Light the way. Conditions apply. To view basic plan information documents, visit energyaustralia.com.au.